while Australia is small in terms of population, it's big. Oh, it's, yeah, the size of America. Being that there is a small number of broadcasters, when it comes to premium advertising as a product, it's pretty easy to narrow down who you need to be buying from. And that's probably changing the conversation away from the cat videos. I usually dumb it down and just go, you've got your broadcast and we're running a web browser on top of it. When your origins are overseas, even just trying to do an HD stream, like how are you really going to pull down those renditions across the Pacific Ocean? It took me 14 hours in an aeroplane to get here. So what makes you think you're going to be able to pull it down in a fraction of a second? I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the Demux Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. And I'm Phil, streaming specialist at Mux in London and organizer of the London Video Technology Meetup. And you're listening to Demuxed, a podcast for and by engineers working with video. Demuxed is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. Hey, everybody. Uh, I think this is the first time we've actually been back in the studio within two weeks from the last episode that we recorded, so we're on a roll. 2019 <laughs> is off to a roaring start. So today we have Jeremy all the way from Australia with us and Phil. We have two two international people in the studio today, which is awesome. And three video meetup organizers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, SF Video, London Video Technology, and Jeremy runs uh, Sydney Video Tech. That's correct. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice. So I guess some normal things that we'll run through. I We'll continue to mention this in perpetuity forever until October. Demuxed is officially announced. It's the, tw- well, I don't know if we've even technically announced it, but you've probably heard rumors. Uh, <laughs> October 23rd and 24th, it will be announced by the time this is released. We've opened up sponsorships. So if you're interested in sponsoring, shoot us an email, sponsor at demux.com, and otherwise we'll see you there. Okay, so now that that stuff's out of the way, Jeremy, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Jeremy Brown. I'm head of video architecture in a company called Seven West Media. We are a broadcaster in Australia. We own a bunch of magazines, newspaper, and media companies. But the meat and potatoes of the company would be a product called Seven Plus, which is a catch-up and live streaming service. During major sporting events like Olympics, we might run an extra 50 channels on top of our BAU live channels. Lots of ad replacement. Lots of devices we support, which I guess we'll get into today. Cool. So you're from Seven. One of my favorite things about the Australian market is every television channel is a number. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's two government subsidized channels that are ABC and SBS, but everyone else is pretty much a number until you go to regional areas and then it gets all messy and you'll find channels with a bit of content from every channel mixed in. It is a very different market, I get that. <laughs> I think what's interesting to us is talking about uh, what the differences are. I mean, I've worked with you for a long time, right? And we've been deep into that market of of things that happen and technologies that exist in Australia and situations that exist in Australia and also New Zealand uh, that don't exist out in America or, or Europe and those sorts of things. Let's talk a bit about uh, connected TVs and smart devices because yeah. I think that space is really different out there. Well, we're finding as a broadcaster, a catch-up service, that the connected TV is actually our biggest audience. We're, we're over 60%. We're aiming for 70% on connected TV. 
Hmm. We've got a flavor of Roku called Telstra TV in the market that's very popular. We've got uh, Samsungs and Playstations and some have Xboxes. But probably the interesting one that you want to get onto is uh, what we call Freeview Plus, which is HPV TV. And HPTV is a hybrid broadband baseband? Yes. Is that what we're at? Yes. I think the version we're running right now is 1.5, which is the CEHTML spec. God, um, <laughs> that was, uh, I think, originally written for refrigerators. <laughs> is that, now, is that a now, joke or is that serious? No, I think it is. <laughs> and so, it, it, you know, for all its quirks, which um, Phil's worked on in a previous life, it's actually a pretty uh, interesting project to work on and one that all the broadcasters collaborate on together. We, we created this consortium in a, a, a Freeview Plus, which is all the broadcasters are allowed to participate in. And we create a, an experience across all the channels where you have a catch-up service for each channel that's activated by a broadcast signal. Yeah, so kind of from a technical perspective, if you think about how this is working, we've got metadata going out in the transport streams that the content goes out through mm-hmm. that can trigger and build applications and services to appear on the TV, right? Yeah, I usually dumb it down and just go, you've got your broadcast and we're running a web browser on top of it. And it's transparent, mm. and you can decide how much of that you want to take over. Hmm. And um, from that experience, you can see how like you can have ad experiences or catch-up experiences or enriched experiences. Sort of, I guess, what the cable providers have been doing in their boxes. But every channel can build their own different experience. And that's what's been happening. How reliable is like the HTML interface on top of this? Like, are they using some standard like uh, browser engine, or is it like a custom thing that you got to be careful about which browser yeah. features you try to use? <laughs> Take like, a wild guess. Steve. Does the marquee yeah. <laughs> does the marquee tag work? Is the real question. <laughs> no, the blink tag works. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, look, I, th- I think it's only fair to say that it, it's been a lot of work, and to try and keep it simple would be an understatement. You know, products like server side have been absolutely critical in getting this to work. I think the original intent of it was in Germany, mm, where yeah. there's a lot of government-owned broadcasters, and so commercialization of product wasn't as important, whereas for us, being a commercial broadcaster, that was like the driving requirement. But when you get through those, the video delivery has never really been the complicated bit. It's it's always been the uh, the refrigerator operating system that's running the, <laughs> the, the, the browser. What we are finding, though, is some of the modern TVs just have an HTML5 browser right there, and you can kind of sniff for it and if you find it then you use it. What's super interesting from a, a delivery perspective is that HPTV when you, you start thinking about delivering actual video content for it is it's basically a derivative dash. It's a old version of the dash spec. Mm, yeah with quite a set of limitations <laughs> on it, really. <laughs> one of the big ones is uh, single periods. So one of the common ways of doing dash add insertion is obviously multiple periods, yep. but it doesn't work. No. <laughs> well, I mean, again, to my point, the, there's enough devices out there that are smart and you can do a user agent sniff or something like that. In fact, even HLS, we found most of them, it's not written anywhere in the spec, but it can, it can do it. Hmm. But I think the big challenge was, yeah, you're finding these browsers are very limited, their playback are very different. I kind of liken it to the good old days of web development where each browser <laughs> was different. You just kind of have to think about it that way. <laughs> and you're running an ES two or three. So it's a very old JavaScript. Does Babel even take you back to there? If you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, um, I think we're using Webpack and, nice. and Babel. 
So that's one experience that we build. The other thing that we do in collaborative is um, uh, Oztam, which is a, a Nielsen byproduct. It's um, analytics, but it's analytics across uh, all the broadcasters and it's a publicly available. So every day there's reports out on what shows are the most popular in catch up, which channels are the biggest. So that's a real game changer in our market because suddenly all numbers are considered equal. Hmm. We found that across the industry, someone will talk about minutes or sessions, concurrence. That conversation stops. It's it's minutes and that's the currency. And um, yeah, it's been playing against all the channels against each other and one of the capable providers. And I've learned today, even an SVOD service from America is running it too. Is this a... Is it a requirement that you... The, the driver for it was um, minutes appended to broadcast minutes. So I guess the way that you see uh, broadcast minutes is you see live minutes and you see the catch-up minutes with people who, um, sorry, DVR may have recorded it and that's been tracked by the census previously. This is like more minutes that you can add on to that because we've all agreed that these are all equal. What's the main value behind that? Is it like understanding where advertising dollars should go? Is it yeah, like and it's, it's, knowing it's, what's the most popular show? I mean, I think we've all, uh, everyone in the industry has accepted that the digital minutes are climbing. I mean, they're, they're doubling if not every year. And so how do you turn those minutes into the traditional currency of minutes that you would see on a broadcast, mm. like a, on, a, on a Nielsen census? Mm-hmm. And so if you can add onto those minutes and create a, a total perspective across all of catch-up and, and live streaming, as well as live broadcast, you can create a currency that doesn't look so bleak for the broadcaster. Yep. Hmm. How do you guys do in those analytics? <laughs> uh, it's a lot of work. Each player needs to be accredited, uh, certified, and so there is people in Ostham who are working very hard uh, keeping all the players across all the platforms, across all the broadcasters, Accredited and tested. Are the players beaconing? Uh, so this is, gets back yeah, to what I was asking. Beaconing earlier. every minute, and then add events, start events, complete events. There's quite a lot in there. And are you required to implement that, like legally, or is it just something that why wouldn't you do it? It's probably the, more the latter. You need okay. those minutes to feed into a bigger thing. If you've got devices that aren't supporting it, you're just missing out on the greater picture of your audience. Yeah, and that's publicly available. So you just don't look as popular as you probably are. Are those beacons caught by ad blockers in general or not? I don't know. I know that working very hard to keep PII and uh, GDPR compliant, and I know they're working very hard on not being blacklisted. So I don't think they are. That's cool. I imagine they can throw some money the ad blockers way too, yeah. maybe circumvent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit more about ads in Australia, because it's different, right? It's not the same as it is. Yeah, I have, I have great else. conversations here with uh, people in ad markets here. They they talk about brands that just aren't that popular in Australia, but mm. then the, they, they think I'm crazy because we deal with some brands. I'm not going to name them by name, but you, you kind of get what I'm saying. There, there's definitely a different ecosystem in Australia. Mm. It's interesting, I've been talking to another company who is in Africa, and their ecosystem is completely different as well. And Brands and agencies that are popular there, I wouldn't even thought they were popular in Australia or in America. So the ad tech experience is, being that there is a small number of broadcasters, they're all catch up. When it comes to premium advertising as a product, it's pretty easy to narrow down to who you need to be buying from. And that's probably changing the uh, conversation away from 
the cat videos and the pre-rolls. <laughs> <laughs> and from what I understand, the, the CPMs are, are great out in Australia in comparison to like here. Yeah, and we noticed that when we use um, some of the American DSPs and SSPs. Mm. The rates we're getting are much, much higher. Yeah, that comes with work and mm -hmm. relationships. There's a strong relationship between the DSPs we do work with and the ones with, the ones with local presence, especially technical, seem to be the ones that perform the best because they're making that investment into getting it to work. And, uh, you know, as I said, connected TVs are so high that you have to do server-side, really, if you're going to build a platform with a small team. And those teams that understand that and are taking time to work with those, you know, the quirks of server-side advertising, it's paying off for them and it's paying off for us too. So we're saying CPMs are higher in Australia. Is it just like that there's maybe better technical integration between the platforms and the ad vendors or is there other unique details to the Australian market that kind of make that it's possible? A smaller marketplace. You kind smaller. of know everyone. Um, so you can work through these problems a little bit more and better relationships, I guess. Mm. America's a massive place by comparison. You know, we're probably the size of Connecticut. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole country and by comparison. So I think that helps. And we, mm -hmm. we're based out of two major cities uh, as a country. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that lends itself to better relationships and better targeting and better outcomes for each partner. I don't think it's like a premium that we charge because we're Australian. No, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, I think it's, it's more a longer term relationship that works for both parties. Yeah, and maybe targeting, like you mentioned, like you can target a little bit more easier than you can Absolutely. probably target in the United States. And Yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't have GDPR yet. Um, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Is that coming. Well, I think it's coming any, everywhere, isn't it? I mean, the California laws are pretty strict. I saw them coming in out of nowhere, really. That was fast. It might even just be like knowing the audience better, right? Like yeah. knowing what audience of each channel has, right? And being able to target your, your yeah. advertising dollars a little bit better. And and that goes hand in hand with those relationships. They've been very um, direct in telling us what they want, what they require. Sign-in is something that we've had to roll out everywhere. And I think just about everyone's doing it now. Sign-in? Yeah. So getting basic data about demographic data and being able to target against that creates value. Is that the viewers logging into your service? Absolutely. And Each then, service okay. has their own sign-in platform. Okay. Um, and that creates, a, I guess it's like ASL, isn't it, back in there? <laughs> yeah. Those so who remember then, chat rooms. Oh, yeah. there you right. go. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And then, you gotcha. can, and then you can do demographic targeting, and with that comes a premium. And, and um, yeah, even location targeting to a lesser extent is mm -hmm. becoming a priority. Most of these platforms are free, though, right? Like, uh, yes, they're all free. Okay. Yeah, we're all public broadcasters, so it's a catch-up service typically. Got it. That's certainly becoming more popular across England as well. Um, even BBC are putting everything behind a sign-in wall now. It's already been on majority of those catch-up services, but the rest of them are now pretty much in alignment as well. The other issue I see coming through a lot is for about five years now, everyone's decided that JavaScript can solve everything. And you can't. Uh, they just. <laughs> and there's been every year like a new issue, whether it be fraud or viewability, every year that's a new big issue. Hmm. And out of that, they've gone, and here's the JavaScript to solve that problem, <laughs> now, which is fine, but as we've moved to the connected TV audience, well, there is no JavaScript. Mm. 
and there are no plugins or some of the attributes that you can get from JavaScript you can't extract out of a Roku TV. It just won't let you ask how big's the TV. And so, you know, there's an education there and that's happening. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. Open measurement's a funny thing that is getting stronger in uh, growth and uh, people are all committing to it. But um, I'm yet to see how that's going to work on connected TV. Taking you back to what I know about Australian connectivity is that most connections are metered and bandwidth is really expensive. Is are the two the two things that I hear often. So I guess my question is, like, do you guys fall prey to that with your SVOD? Yeah, I services, think or? I think it's reflected in the rendition ladders we have. They they top out pretty low comparative to somewhere like America. Somewhere like India we're considered HD. But what I guess you're alluding to is the connectivity is poor. By comparison, that's come from a long, uh, long drawn-out project with a uh, fiber connectivity that's become political, and it hasn't actually ended up in a in a good position because basically, why would you invest in copper if you know fiber's coming? Yep. And if you're the fiber company and you're inheriting a copper system, why would you invest in that? And so, uh, we're probably behind in that regard. Having said that, the mobile telcos have taken over. Really, so. High connectivity in terms of 4G. Like, are most of your customers using 4G in the house, or not most? But like, are you seeing that as a thing? Like, uh, a common experience for a user at home would be on the phone, scrolling through something like Facebook, getting to a video, and maybe even turning the Wi-Fi off just to watch that video. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, yeah. If something's taking too long to load, you turn off the DSL and you go to the to the 4G because <laughs> the 4G connectivity is so good. But then you're paying the metering on a telecom plan would be a lot more than a metering on a DSL plan. So you kind of you're constantly in this seesaw of like, how am I connecting? For what purpose? How quickly do I need this? Mm-hmm. How do you think this affects your viewership? Uh, yeah, I, I think it does. I think there's an educated user out there who has very technical demands: HD, where's 4K, where's 22K sound audio channels, and you just like. Guy, we can't. <laughs> we know we've we've run HD streams and uh, up to seven meg at ten eighty, which you know some users got really well, and other users didn't. And a lot of users couldn't even stream at that capacity. So mm. I think it was sort of like we can do this. It's just not worthy investment in time and in, and money. And then there's the licensing on top of that. So we with our live streams because we're a catch up service. We don't necessarily have to DRM as long as we keep the quality low. As long as you keep the quality low, really. Interesting. Yeah, yeah if you're not at 720p or higher, I've seen yeah. that in studio contracts before. So that's a content owner requirement. Like yeah. anything yeah. over a certain resolution, have DRM. But if, yep. if your streamers can't even support that, then don't even bother with it, basically. Yeah. So it means that for us, we can get away with just clear HLS or mm-hmm. encrypted HLS. Mm-hmm. Which makes streaming fifty channels financially viable and building the players to support across you know all these devices. Mm-hmm. I assume that the refrigerator operating system and DRM play nicely together, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think. I don't even think there was a, a spec for Dash live back then. No, so HDTV with DRM is totally a thing. HDTV one point five with DRM is totally a thing. It's pretty much play ready. It's an old version of PlayReady, though, an old version of the key exchange and everything. So 
that's fun. I have done it. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> we do thank you for your effort. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, we were all looking at each other wondering, how is this going to work? But it paid out in the end because it was a, you know, a universal platform mm. and something Australia can show, showcase to the world. Like you can work with other competition. You, know, you still get to own your own video. You're still paying your own CDN bills, creating your own experiences. But as collective broadcasters, you're creating that next generation of experience, that hybrid broadcast and internet together, which I think is it was cool. Uh, we just need to keep investing in it. And there is the HVTV2, for example, that does pull in later versions of the Dash spec, gives you a lot more options, but unfortunately, TVs are already in people's houses, right? Yeah. Being on the bleeding edge, iOS is so easy because it comes out with a new release and everyone gets the new operating system that weekend. Hmm. With the television, they don't necessarily update ever. Mm-hmm. So you, you're kind of stuck with a seven-year window of keeping this platform Seven alive. years. Yeah, potentially. I once worked on a project where supporting some of the older TVs was so hard that the customer shipped people Chromecasts. Said, sorry, your TV's going to stop working. Here's a Chromecast in the post. Yeah, uh, I've often joked it would be cheaper to send them a DVD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the connectivity bit. Like your viewers have an expensive experience. What is that like from your perspective? Is like a like what do CDN bills look like? I've heard it's higher. Like your your fastly rate or whatever is going to yeah. be higher than it is in the U.S. And a lot of that comes from the uh, connectivity at the pairing level. There's a total cost of CDN that I think everyone gets stuck on the cents per gig conversation going out without actually factoring in like, well, if you were to have an origin on a different CDN, how are you going to transport that content across and what's the rate on that? And that's something we probably talk about 10 times a week. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's so like, it comes up occasionally. Yeah, so. yeah, it's definitely trying to work out the best system for... Uh, where where should our origin and where should our CDN mm. live and how do we get the video to transport across? It's always a big decision in, in how we architect now. I think everyone's got a plan for multi-CDN and I don't think anyone's looking properly at the total cost of that. Mm. And are all your points of presence in Australia? Yeah, we are geo-blocked to Australia, which okay. makes it a little bit easier in that, that origin egress yeah. charge. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when your origins are overseas, it makes a... a egress, even just trying to do an HD stream, like how are you really mm. going to pull down those renditions across the Pacific Ocean? It took me 14 hours in an aeroplane to get here. <laughs> so what makes you think you're going to be able to pull it down in a fraction of a second? Right. <laughs> and that changes kind of the OVP marketplace out there, right? Because really the people who are relevant in the architectures you build are all about the people with local deployments, right? Absolutely. You pointed out fastly, I think that they're a great story. You know, I think that experience that everyone has on Spotify, you press a button and the audio plays immediately. I think if you go to use some of the other audio programs, you notice very immediately that you're hitting buttons and waiting. Even half a second or a second, that experience that they've built is amazing. I think everything we should all, all be achieving towards as an industry, it's pretty impressive tech. And that's Spotify in Australia specifically? Spotify globally, but it's a... It's an experience. Um, you should get the guys to talk about it one day. I, I won't explain it well enough, but um, I think there's a there's a library of the first few seconds of every video sitting really red hot on the edge. Really? And so that way you've got time to go and get the second, third, fourth, fifth part of the video. But the the actual experience is almost instantaneous. I've always just assumed that it was 
because they have fast peering and like I'm, I'm mm. listening to content that other people have cached already. But no, they got a the red hot cache on on popular. Yeah, Fine. and and obviously as you go through between countries, the the music that's popular in that country is different. So they've had to factor that in. Anyway, get those guys to explain it, but it's it's <laughs> definitely um, it's definitely an experience like that that instant click to play that startup time. That seems to be a really big thing, and probably one where ad tech lets us down so badly. Oh yes, yeah, it's bizarre. Whenever we look at data with customers, and they're like, you know, our viewer experience score is is low, and it's like once you actually start digging into the data, it's actually like a you know. Three seconds added to startup time because it's waiting for an ad. And yeah, got to yeah. go find an ad. Got to make sure it's stitched in. Got to get some impression beacons on the way. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it is like an incredibly complex. Like the quote that I've seen repeatedly lately is uh, that comment about like the most brilliant minds of our generation are trying to figure out how to show more ads more efficiently. <laughs> and I mean, especially when you look at like when you think about these exchanges and how they work. I mean, it is yeah. it is wild that like. There's this whole auction happening when you load a website. It's also terrifying, but anyway, I totally agree. Like, who knows how much better most video experiences would be, like if monetization via ads wasn't such a hard requirement for so many people. Absolutely, and when you've got um, auctions sitting behind auctions, behind auctions, behind auctions, you know, I've seen rappers ten deep, <laughs> and they've circumvented the whole globe. They've bounced between UK, Australia, England, Singapore. So you can like three seconds startup time. I dream of that at times. Like there can be some real nasty ads and startup times because of that, and that's probably another reason why I like server side so much. Is you kind of pay a tax at the start of the clip, but you get that steady experience the rest of the way through. Yeah, there's nothing quite like watching something, enjoying it. All of a sudden, the video stops. Spinner shows up. Just like sitting there waiting, and then suddenly a mid roll plays for a little while. Like so, on top of Getting to enjoy a mid roll, yeah. <laughs> it's also this ter- like it, it, just get it over with, you know. Well, yeah, and and if that experience to get the mid roll takes the same duration as the mid roll, it's <laughs> even better if it falls back to like a bumper or something. Yeah. And then, <laughs> oh, we couldn't fill this ad, so <laughs> oh no, <laughs> wait. What well, times do you watch when you're binging a show on like Hulu or something? Or I, I wouldn't know. Well, okay, sorry. <laughs> When I've been binging shows, and all of a sudden you see the same Geico commercial like forty oh. times across six episodes of a show, there's been times where I've like in two ads seen the same ad twice, just immediately played again. That was that used to happen to me on a platform I won't name. But the worst part was they had no direct ad sales in the UK, so we're falling back to charity ads. Mm-hmm. So it was charity ad after charity ad after charity ad, like yeah, three, four, five. Same ad, same break, same part. It just, uh, it's like Groundhog Day. It didn't make watching. me want to give money to charity. This <laughs> was really upsetting about it. There's definitely a, a vast four gave us the creative ID, and if everyone listening could please use it, <laughs> we would solve this problem. But yeah, what you're finding is uh, the same ad, but coming from multiple DSPs, um, mm, and they're just not not aware of each other. Then that's where they're colliding. Hmm. And that's where a lot of that happens. The solution's out there; it just needs uh, people to use it. I'm sure we could also sprinkle some blockchain on it at some point. Oh, like yeah. All the problems would be solved. I want to touch back on something really quick. Just this idea of like 
the CDN in Australia is kind of interesting to me. So I think most people think of a CDN as like, okay, so I have like a central place for my files. And if I have viewers all around the world, I need this file cached everywhere so it can reach them quickly, right? But what we're talking about here is Australia, and you said earlier, like, the size of Connecticut, probably, right? Like, I mean, people-wise, right? And you're geo-blocked to, like, the Australia region. So, like, I'm interested to kind of understand, like, where does the specific value of of the CDN come in for your local area? I mean, it's it's scale, it's concurrency. I mean, when you talk to a back-end developer nowadays and they start talking about the threat of IoT and suddenly having to manage lots of scale and and connections, it's like, well, we've been doing that for a long time. We've got this segmented video, it's really small bits. We're going to need lots and lots and lots of concurrence and we need to scale and we need to be reliable. You know, I think um, it's really interesting to watch where CDNs go over the next five years with Lambda on the Edge or WebAssembly, those sort of things. Like how that drives video technology, I think, is going to be really exciting and probably address a lot of these issues that we're raising today. Hmm. But um, I think at the end of the day, there's that the compute price that you pay, and there's a um, a price on egress or serving across networks that we have. And CDNs obviously help that and kind of lock down what your actual is going to be, what your costs are. Mm. You can't really fix price it, but you can at least estimate and get a good rate and, and look into that. Get to some level of predictability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Predictability is hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While Australia is small in terms of population, it's big. Oh, it's, yeah, the size of America. Yeah. Yeah, Matt yeah, just it, looked really surprised. So, <laughs> repeat the, that one more time. Australia geographically is huge. It takes what five hours to fly across Australia. It's a little yeah. down on my yeah, on my map in yeah, the corners. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not, honestly, we had a discussion last night about map projections. <laughs> this is this again. Yeah, there's multiple hour time zones between each. Um, the the big joke I have is the English backpacker Phil. You know these guys well. <laughs> They fly into Perth and they say, well, I'm going to go to Perth, I'm going to go to Sydney, I'm going to Melbourne, I'm going to Cairns, and then I'm going to fly home. I say, well, how long are you here? They say, two weeks. I said, you better start driving. You're not going to make it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's thousands of kilometers across. So it's Connecticut, <laughs> but just exploded across. Well, there's a big white desert sand in the middle and a red rock. But yeah, <laughs> it's spread out. There's a note on here in our notes about New Zealand which, according to John Oliver, apparently isn't on like half the maps in the world. But uh, like, when you talk about your geo-blocking, that would also block New Zealand residents? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the same conversation if you guys went overseas and someone asked if you're Canadian, you'd be like, it's a whole other country. Right, right, right. right. Um, yeah, at least uh, in Australia and New Zealand, they're two separate land masses with two separate governments. And, you know, we're friendly. You know, this is a country of four million, maybe even just... But they're very well connected, very different to us. They're all got their own fiber network run out to the houses. Hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. A lot of the deep sea cables go via New Zealand too. So connectivity is very good in the country. One of the things that I found super interesting when working on deploying stuff to Australia and New Zealand was you'll often build out your origin in Australia but then be delivering into New Zealand from Australia because, for example, a great example is AWS doesn't have a region that's in New Zealand. It only has basically Sydney, right? Mm. So you are hamstrung by the links between Australia and New Zealand, of which there are, my understanding, two. 
that many? Oh yeah, it must and, be. It must be redundancy. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> one of those doesn't work. <laughs> it's a long way away. You know, again, it's fourteen hours flight. You can imagine dropping a sea cable between here and there. It's it's a huge investment, and uh, the same goes off to New Zealand. It's, I think, it's still a three hour flight or something. Yeah, and it is. and so you can imagine like you've got to run a cable the whole way there, the whole way back, and then try and monetize that to a population of four million. Hmm. I don't know. It seems like a lot of work. Yeah. But having said that, internally their networking is amazing, enviable. Nice. This is a slightly embarrassing story, but this flight stuff is reminding me. When Steve and I went and did like a trip around, <laughs> like we went and spoke at a Brightcove event in Tokyo, and like we also went to the first Sydney video meetup, which was awesome. Yeah. And so I was like, we had this Tokyo event lined up, and I was like, oh, well, we should just go to the meetup while we're over there. <laughs> Via so, Australia. Because so they're so close. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, like, this is, we're on that side of the world. We'll just hop by Japan. And like, I didn't really realize until I got on the flight. I was like, how long is this flight again? It's like 12 hours or whatever it is. I was like, yeah, so you were close in time zone, but a different hemisphere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so minor difference. but That's uh, so much going on in the market out there. It's so exciting. Thank you for coming and joining us. Yeah, thank you, really Phil. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. He's also, I mean, this recording is going to go out in like you know a month after this, but there is a meetup tonight. So yeah, uh, if tonight. you hear this in <laughs> retrospect, you should look up his talk. Uh, Jeremy speaking tonight at SF Video. So if you hear this in retrospect, look his talk up online. We'll have it on the YouTube channel. Yeah. Hey, who else is talking tonight? Oh, ooh, I don't, I don't know. I think it's tonight? just, I think it's just Jeremy. Some guy. I think, it's, I think it's just Jeremy. Uh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Phil's talking too. So <laughs> look up look up both of these talks. Yeah. And, and if you're uh, ever in Sydney, uh, get in touch with me, uh, anyone out there really, and we'll see if we can. We run a monthly event and we're happy to invite people or have them speak if they've got a great topic. I, I can either confirm nor deny that Sydney Video Tech is technically bigger than SF Video Tech. <laughs> it is the biggest Video Tech meetup in the world. Thank you. <laughs> so everybody, go to sfvideo.org and make sure that you join the meetup. <laughs> Thanks again, Jeremy. This is awesome. Thank you very much. That's all we have for today. But as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree. So please reach out on Twitter at Demuxed. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 